If you wish to follow the Bible reading, it's on page 1068. It's John chapter 5, verses 1 to 24. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learnt that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son, just as they honour the Father. He who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, very good morning. Great to see you. At the climax of this passage this morning, we see a promise like no other, don't we? In that last verse, Jesus promises, verse 24, 
I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Now just pause for a second and consider that claim. Jesus is saying, whoever hears his word and believes in the one who sent him has eternal life, has eternal life. He's saying that the grave, the cemetery, the crematorium is no longer our destination, that life will continue. And notice what else he says, you will not be condemned. Uh, Remember a few weeks ago, I hope I could get away with saying this, a few weeks ago, Ellie asked the question, how do we feel when we're meeting God? And for lots of us, it's still quite fearful, isn't it? And understandable when we consider what God uh, presents himself like. But actually, hear what Jesus is saying here. We're not condemned. We have passed from death to life. And so, there should not be fear at meeting God. No fear of condemnation. But what's most remarkable is how this promise comes about. Do you notice? Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. Whoever hears my word and believes. Now, words are pretty powerful, aren't they? I mean, words can start wars. They can end wars. Uh, Words can make relationships. Words like I do or I will. Uh, They can end relationships. But no one in their right mind would claim that words are ever able to reverse the effects of the grave, nor able to forgive sin. And yet Jesus does. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. Now it obviously raises the question, doesn't it? What on earth gives Jesus the ability to make a claim like that? And why should we believe Jesus when indeed he does make a claim like that? Well, that's exactly what we see in our passage this morning. In the run-up to verse 24 and this claim, we see the proof that Jesus' promise here of verse 24 is absolutely trustworthy for every single one of us today. Uh, John divides this part into two sections. First of all, we get the sign, the miracle, running up to verse 9, and then we get the meaning afterwards, uh, 10 to 23. But let's focus on the sign first of all. Because here in this passage, we meet a man who is a picture of brokenness. Uh, We're told the man has been disabled for 38 years, and the disability is so severe, he just lays on a bed by this pool. Yeah, just consider that. For four long decades, this man has been confined to a three-foot by six-foot straw mat unable to move himself, completely dependent on those around him to feed him, to move him. And yet the picture's even more tragic, isn't it? Because the reason he's here at this pool is that he hopes to end his suffering. See, we're told, um, you see this uh, hinted at in verse uh, 3 and 5 and 4, that um, the pool would occasionally bubble up and uh, probably from an underground spring, which is pretty common, and um, the water would change color. And the theory was that the first in the pool would be healed. I mean, this is not the pool, but this is the kind of uh, thing that often happens. But this is a race the man never wins. See, look at what he says in verse 7. Hear the tragedy of it. 
I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So it's a doubly tragic picture, isn't it? Because this man is suffering his disability, but he's also suffering because he cannot do anything to fix his disability. He's a complete picture of brokenness. But he's also a picture of our brokenness. See, the, the blind, the deaf, the disabled were a common picture in the Bible of us all. See, we may not sit on a straw mat, of course, but we all have bodies that decay, that deteriorate, and eventually die. And we may have 20-20 vision, but actually, as we look at Scripture, we see that God talks about his people as blind spiritually. We cannot see our maker as he presents himself. We do not listen. And like the man by this pool, I don't know about you, but we try, don't we, so often to try and fix that brokenness. Now, of course, we don't sit by the lake in East Drop Park waiting for you know, it to turn into a jacuzzi, but we do seek out things that try and address the wounds. For some of us, I guess, it might be the latest diet plan or exercise regime, thinking that if we get on board with this, this will stave off the grim reaper. Or we plow ourselves into our jobs, thinking that status we crave so much, that that feeling that we belong to something bigger, well, is going to come through our job title. Or we invest all in a relationship, thinking that that will fill the void of our hearts. But none of those things can repair what's truly broken, can they? See, we're like the man left by the poor, hopeless to save ourselves, hoping that it might be different next time. But that all changes because this man meets Jesus. And with three simple instructions in verse 8, get up, pick up your mat, and walk this man is completely healed. Now, of course, there'd be some of us, uh, if not a lot of us, that thinks, well, that just seems pretty far-fetched. I mean, how can Jesus walk up to this man, say these three commands, and for this miracle to happen? And, of course, we should say that this is not an everyday occurrence, which is precisely why John writes a gospel to show us about it. But John does really want us to believe that this happened, Uh, And he gives us such details to help us with that. See, notice he gives the details of the Paul in verse 2. He says it's just outside of Jerusalem. He gives us the name. And he even tells us that it had five colonnades. Um, Now, this might not excite you very much, but if you're an architect, um, listen up, because um, colonnades, uh, they look like this. No, they don't. I'm not sure that's a colonnade, but anyway, you get the, the impression. Sorry, I should have checked this before, uh, <laughs> before it went out. But um, colonnades are normally straight, and um, if, you've, if you've got a pole, you would normally have four colonnades, four colonnades around the pole. Uh, it's a square or, or a rectangle, that type of thing. But, but John says, no, there's five colonnades, and, and through history, people have thought that does seem very confusing. And would you believe it, like recent excavations have found that there was indeed a fifth colonnade. 
uh, running down uh, the pole to divide it in two. Now, it may not be very exciting, uh, the number of colonnades, but it does show us that it is uh, not a folktale. It's the sort of details we would expect if this were not a work of fiction, but an eyewitness testimony. See, John wants us to believe that Jesus really healed this man with a word. Year after year, this man had laid by this pool a picture of hopelessness, trying in vain, time and time again, to clamber to the pool every time the waters bubbled up, but every time someone would pip him to the post and then going through the same thing year after year after year. And yet, with a word from Jesus, that life is completely turned around. But how does that help us? I mean, it's good for this man, isn't it? It shows Jesus' power, his character, and his kindness to this man. But how does that help us now, 2,000 years later and 2,000 miles away? And how does it help us trust Jesus' words when he makes that promise to us? Whoever hears my word and believes the one who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. Well, actually, this healing isn't just for this man in the first century. This healing is for all of us. And we see that as we go on uh, into the second part of this passage as we think about uh, the meaning. See, what's the meaning of this sign? Well, John goes on to explain. Um, You might think that what happens to this man is a cause of great celebration. I mean, after all, he's been healed, but it's not. See, for the religious leaders, they see only one thing, that he has broken the Sabbath law. And so they accuse the man of carrying his mats, and then the man points to Jesus. And so Jesus finds himself on the defensive from verse 16. But what Jesus says in defense is absolutely remarkable. I don't know what you would expect Jesus to say. I guess you might expect him to say, come on, guys, it's not work, is it? I mean, I only spoke a word. I can hardly call that work. Or, or he didn't say, well, actually, it's got nothing to do with me. It's this man who was carrying his mat. Blame him if you're going to blame anyone. He doesn't say that, unsurprisingly. But rather, he says, verse 17, my father is always at work, at his work to this very day, and I too am working. See, Jesus' point that is he's working like his father. Now, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? That the children, children often copy their father or mother when they're doing work. Uh, I was putting up a, a board yesterday, a felt board, very exciting, uh, insight into my um, fast-paced life. And um, yeah, I had my drill out, I had my screwdriver out uh, doing it. And, and what happened? Well, my kids were at my feet trying to do exactly the same uh, on my newly painted wall. And... Um, <laughs> Kids do that, don't they? And, and that's Jesus' point here, that I'm working like my father's working. And when I first read that, I thought, well, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I mean, God keeps the universe running 24-7, I guess that makes sense. And so here's Jesus doing the same thing. Except it doesn't really fit the miracle, does it? See, it's, the miracle isn't really about keeping the universe going or maintaining the universe. See, if you were to choose a miracle that kind of fit 
made that kind of point, I guess the feeding of 5,000, which uh, comes in John's gospel, that fits a bit better, doesn't it? Uh, People were hungry, Jesus fed them. There's that kind of idea of maintaining the universe. But actually, the healing of this man isn't really about maintaining creation. It's about something else. And then I began to thought, I was partly helped by Don Carson in his commentary on this, but I was asking the question, what is it the work that Jesus is talking about here? Is it maintaining the universe, or is it something different? See, when Jesus says he's doing his Father's work, he's just healed this man. In other words, he is undoing the brokenness in our world. See, here's the thing. When Jesus says he's doing his Father's work, he doesn't mean just keeping things running. He means he's doing his Father's work of releasing this creation from the effects of the fall to restore it and to bring it to what it was intended. If you don't believe me, uh, have a look at uh, chapter uh, verse 20, uh, where Jesus says, For as the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does... Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. Even greater things than this healing. What is the greater thing? Verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. So, yeah, if you've you've lost the track here, um, I sort of almost lost myself uh, working on this, but here's the bit to come in, because this, this healing is a a movie preview of what is to come. See, just as this man, broken, unable to help himself, is healed by a word from Jesus, well, that is a picture of what God is doing with his world now as he releases it from its hopelessness and brings it to life. In fact, this is pretty neat. The the word get up in verse 8, is the word rise. It's exactly the same word as comes up in verse 21. So this isn't just healing for one man. This is a preview, a picture, the first fruits of what Jesus is doing with his Father across the whole of creation. Perhaps you're acutely aware of your brokenness. You come this morning perhaps with a doctor's diagnosis on the mind. Perhaps you're acutely aware your body is not what it used to be. Perhaps you come today with a struggle with a persistent sin or that just feeling that nothing truly satisfies. And as we look at this man, it's not just his story. It is the story for all who put their trust in the Lord Jesus. As Jesus says to this man, get up, take your mat and walk. Well, Jesus too says to us, get up, rise and live. Now the question, of course, is how can I be sure? I mean, this man and the people around saw this man walk, but how can I be sure so many centuries later? Well, I want us to ask the final question uh, here this morning. How does this restoration come? See, Jesus doesn't get his surgeon's knife out and start washing his hands to to do surgery on this man. Of course not. He he doesn't 
start to do physio, it's just a word, isn't it? Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And that shouldn't surprise us if we know who Jesus is. So you look back a couple of pages to John chapter 1. Uh, it's on page 1661, only a couple of pages back. And here's how John introduces the gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So you remember back right at the start of the year, January, it seems a long time ago now, doesn't it? But remember, we looked at Genesis chapter 1, and we saw that creation came as God spoke. It was. And now John uses those very words to talk about Jesus. That word that was spoken and brought about the cosmos will has come. The word who caused the Milky Way to, 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 to exist has walked on the earth he created. And so that same God who spoke at the start of creation now speaks through his Son in his creation to bring life where there's death. See, the reason we know verse 24 is true is because of who's saying it. It is God himself, the one who spoke the cosmos into being, now speaks his word to bring life. And the question, very simply for us, is do we trust him at that word? It doesn't make sense, does it, to, to believe in a God who can speak the cosmos into being and not to believe that same God when he speaks a word of restoration to us. See, when Jesus says you have eternal life, he's not playing around. He's not just giving us an empty wish or a hope. He doesn't even say you might have eternal life or you can hope to have eternal life. Look again what he says, verse 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Now. Could be this morning. Could be many years ago. That The moment we hear Jesus' words and believe him, we have eternal life. It starts now. He says in verse 24, you have crossed. You have crossed. It's already happened. The, the word cross there, it, it's often used of people moving house, moving from one domain to another. And Jesus says about those who hear his words that you have passed, crossed over, moved house from condemnation to life. See, no longer do we need to look at the grave with fear, wondering what might come after. No longer do we have to sort of bury our heads in the sand thinking that if we just plow ahead here, well, death never comes. Because like this man, in a sense, we've got up. We've taken up our mat. We're walking in the Lord Jesus. And no longer do we have to fear meeting God. Of course, without our sins accounted for, we would need to fear. That's the right response. But the moment we believe Jesus' words, we no longer have to wonder what he thinks of us. Because we have passed from death 
to life. Assuming that is, we hear him and believe. Thank you, our Father, for the Lord Jesus, your word dwelling with us. And we do pray, Father, as we hear that word, that we would be like the man, trust in him, and being healed as a result. Please help us, Father, to believe Jesus' words as he speaks them. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.